0: Okay, so we're in the uh, kind of in the middle of a series called Soul Food, and we've been discussing how important your soul is. It's the deepest part of who you are, and it connects your mind and your thoughts and your will together and your body. And um, the soul, we talked about this last week, is sort of the operating system of all those things, and it is the deepest part of you. And so it's important that we understand how it functions and what's important in our soul. And today we're going to talk about soul security, and I'm going to begin with a story about the, uh, the Great Fire of London. It, it was in 1666, and if you think about it, I did the calculation, uh, that's 350 years ago, exactly. Go ahead and do it in your mind, because I remember thinking, that's like 350 years, and it really is. Okay, and it was September 2nd in 1666, and a little fire broke out in a bakery, and by the time this was over, days later... 30,000 buildings were destroyed. Um, Interestingly enough, it started on Pudding Lane, and it ended on um, cinnamon roll or something. Pudding Lane, let's see. uh, uh, And it ended on Pie Corner, which goes to show you that sweets kill. uh, So you need to understand that. But yeah, Pudding Lane. And and so this thing began in a bakery, and by the time it's over, it has devastated nearly 80% of London. Now, in... After the fact, they begin to talk about what do we need to do to make things better if this were ever to happen again. So they passed laws, and they passed laws about the number of buckets you needed to have at your house and the number of ladders you needed to have. And, and if there was a bucket brigade, you were by law commanded to uh, help with the bucket brigade. And then they, they also began or allowed to, uh, a new business to be born. Uh, One that would take your money and then in case something tragic happened, they would uh, be able to provide for you once the tragedy was over. It was called the Insurance Office for Houses. And it began in 1681, several years after the Great Fire. Now, the reason for this was that we all understand there's a need for security. And the need for insurance was the need uh, that we have for assurance that if something bad were to happen, that there would be uh, some cover for us, uh, like a a safety net. Because people die, and there are fires, and stuff happens, and these bad things that happen sometimes need a safety net. Um, Now, uh, several years ago, a couple years ago, Amaris, uh, my oldest daughter who is here, um, she was graduating, and we were driving from my mom's house to... uh, her college, it was about, it's about an hour drive, and, and uh, we were staying with my mom, and so my mom let her drive let me drive her car, uh, she has an Avalon, very nice, uh, I think it's um, nine years old and it has like 3,000 miles on it, I mean, she never goes anywhere, so it's one of those old lady cars, and uh, I'm in this thing, and as we're going to Amherst's graduation, uh, a deer jumps out and decides uh, it wants to go with us, um, but we didn't have room, so we just hit it in the front of the car and then drove off, that's kind of how we handle that sort of thing. And I knew there was damage to the car, but we were like a half hour away and we needed to get there. And so I didn't even stop. We just drove. I figured if something really, really bad happened, like if the wheel had fallen off, I would notice eventually. It's kind of my thinking process in this. So we get to the graduation. I kind of walk around the front of the car, but we needed to get in. And so after the the, the ceremony was over, I go out to look at the car just to see how much damage. And there there was ample damage to the car. Now... The beautiful part of this story, there are two, kind of two parts of this that are really great. One is my mother had insurance. So the insurance was going to pay for this particular problem on the front end of her car, which was smashed to bits. The second really, really good thing for me was that, oh, maybe a month earlier, she had sort of bumped somebody and had knocked the paint a little bit off of the front bumper. And she said, hey, when you come home, will you take this to some body shops and get some pricing on this? And so I solved that problem for her. I don't think she thanked me. But, uh, but really, I, I fixed that because really now they were going to pay for it. Um, we have we've sort of figured out how to take care of ourselves physically. Oh, look at this product, by the way. This is called the Thud Guard. You can actually buy these. Uh, these are for children uh, who start to crawl and maybe they're bumping things now do you remember anybody in here old enough to remember when you could ride your bike without a helmet the way god intended really i mean you know do you remember when you could drive uh you could ride in the the bed of your dad's pickup truck because we all did that right do you remember when you would lay up in the back window of a car do you remember when you could take your bb gun and greet people at the airport you remember that The good old days, I call that, right? When, when you could play with knives and run with sticks and nobody cared and you could play with fire and you'd burn stuff up and it was okay. Now, today, none of that's okay because we have kind of become super cautious, super attentive to our physical well-being and that's, there's nothing wrong with that. It's okay. But we, we want to feel safe physically. We wear seat belts and, and we wear helmets and those sorts of things. We want to feel safe physically. But, but the real question is, how do we help our soul to feel safe? So the big idea for the day is this. Our, uh, one of our soul's most fundamental needs is to feel secure. And the Bible talks about this and that God provides this. And unfortunately, we try substitutes, and we're going to talk about some of those in just a minute. But for our soul to feel safe, Is one of the most important things that goes on in our lives, and we don't always understand it. And so today, hopefully, our eyes will be open to this a bit, and we'll kind of understand some of the things that we've been doing for our soul to feel safe. We just didn't maybe quite connect the dots. So let's begin with a verse, a couple of verses in Hebrews. God bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. The promise was that those of us who uh, put our faith in Christ, would never be disappointed. And th- he forgives our sins and guides our lives. Um, it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we, have, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. I, I love that language, that, that God is an anchor and that we run to him for refuge. Let me go back just a little bit. When we were kids, we would play a game called hide-and-go-seek. You probably played that probably, and, and we would hide in the neighborhood. And, and it was back in the day where you didn't have to worry if somebody was going to you know, steal your kids, uh, or maybe my parents just didn't care. Uh, anyway, uh, we would play in my neighbor, my, my buddy Mike Wilson's yard, and they had big trees, and we would play. And the one goal of hide-and-go-seek was to get back to home base because then, what was it that you would say? You were what? home free, right? You're home free. And how does your soul ever get to the place where it feels safe? Well, we're going to look at a couple of verses in Genesis because these are super important and it kind of sets the tone for us. In the book of Genesis, we discover we're made to find our security in God, who is our ultimate provider. So let's look at a couple of verses. Then God said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant. He's talking uh, to Adam. I've given you every seed-bearing plant and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food. Now, I, I want us to notice the word. When he says look, it's the word cheneh. Cheneh. Can you say it? Cheneh. If you say it right, like most Hebrew words, the person in front of you should have some spittle right on the back of their neck. Cheneh. You have to say it. You've got to spit. Okay. The the word is, it's like, look, watch this. Parents will understand this. When you're hanging out with your kids, uh, and you're at the park, or you're in the swimming pool, or whatever, uh, how many times do you hear your kids say, Daddy, look at this, watch me. They say it over and over. They're getting your attention. You might be doing something else, like napping, or you might be reading a book, or you might be doing something else. Your focus is someplace else. And your kid will say, Look at what I'm doing. Well, in in some ways, that's what this verse does. It, It draws attention. It's God saying, look at what I am doing for you. And we see it in scriptures often. God provides for us. He provides a place to live. He provides food to eat. That's why we pray before we eat meals. Lord, thank you for this food. By the way, I'm not sure it counts... If you're having chili cheese fries and you pray, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies, that's not going to get answered. I I just want to go ahead and tell you that, that
1: God goes, no,
0: (laughs) no, that's stupid. Uh, But uh, we pray anyway and we're thankful. Now you can say, God, thank you for these chili cheese fries because they are awesome. And uh, give me the energy to run them off later or something like that. You could do that. Um, God gives us beauty to enjoy. Sunsets, man, your sunsets here are amazing. But when we were in New Mexico, we were noticing, gosh, the sunsets here are amazing. The only place sunsets aren't amazing, Kentucky. I don't know what that is. Anyway, um, I don't remember ever thinking in Kentucky, well, the sunsets are great here, but they're awesome here. Um, beauty to enjoy. Oh, you've got these waterfalls and these mountains. Do you enjoy the mountains? I mean, when you're driving around, do you ever just sort of go, oh, my goodness, look at that? Um, where we live, we kind of drive uh, kind of up over this little knob a little bit. And, and there to the right, if you're going home, are these mountains. And it's every, every day I look at that. And I think, that is just awesome. I, I love what God, he gives us beauty to enjoy. He gives us relationships so we can spe- experience love and intimacy. And he gives us work so we can get away from people that we uh, love and are intimate with. Um, he, he gives us a break, which is not the worst thing ever. So God is this provider, and he he often sort of says to us, hey, look at these things that you've been given. Even Let me give you an example here. Um, Oh, I punched it three times. There we go. Okay. Uh, Nope. Nope. There we go. Uh, Noah lifted. Noah was on the ark, right? Uh, Noah lifted back the covering of the boat, and he... He, he saw that the surface of the ground was drying. It's another example of, of God saying, Hey, notice this. I, I think, it, honestly, it's a sin for us not to notice all the things that God does for us. So, you, you might be going through a difficult time. It might have been a, a, a tough week. But, but sometimes it's just really important for us to sort of stop. And I, I just this is a good question. Where is God right now drawing your attention to how he's provided for you? Because when we lose sight of all that God is doing for us, we lose one of the most important aspects of our relationship, that God is a provider and that we should be thankful. Now, this is sort of where it all falls apart, Genesis 3. It falls apart for you and me here. Adam said to God, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. That's how we say it. Naked. That's how you're supposed to say it. That's how the Hebrew should be said. Uh, I was naked. Now, this is the first recorded incident ever in the history of of somebody having anxiety. It's also the first recorded history of somebody being caught with their pants down. But that's not exactly what we're talking about. He has anxiety. I was afraid, the first recorded instance of being afraid. And fear entered the, the the human equation here for all of us because sin entered here for all of us. And when we're afraid and when we fear and when we have anxiety, then we start what happened is we start to look through the lens of what I don't have rather than what I do have. The the lens of, you could call it the lens of lack. What I lack, not what I've been given. And, And this was a bad day for mankind, frankly. And can you imagine, can you imagine God's response to this? Now think about this. You've never been anything but gracious. You've never been anything but generous. You've never been anything but kind. You have lavished this human being with love and with provision. He's living in the Garden of Eden. There's plenty. He's never withheld any good thing. And now all of a sudden, all of a sudden, his creation fears him. Can you imagine how weird that must have been for God? If, if something can be weird for God, I think this was it. It's like I've never done anything. And you have these experiences. You're kind to somebody and they stab you in the back. Or, and, and that's a little taste of what God would have felt here. Because there's never been fear. And he'd never done anything kind of bad uh, toward Adam. And now all of a sudden, because of sin, sin introduces a sort of toxic fear to our souls. And we live here all the time. The irony of this particular story with Adam and God is that nothing changed physically. It's not like he wasn't naked before. He, he was. Nothing changed except he begins to look through a different prism, a different lens in his life. He starts to see what he doesn't have, and now all of a sudden we do that as well. We get these insecurities because we don't feel like we measure up. And we see somebody with more than us, and we're jealous of that. Or we get greedy, and we see somebody with more talent, or somebody that's better looking, or somebody that can do something in my field that's better than me. And it creates this real sense of anxiety and insecurity. And it all kind of stems from this one event where Adam introduced sin... To the human race, and so then we start to do substitutes. What can I? I I can't find. I'm not finding soul security, so I'm gonna. I'm gonna look for something else. So, what other things do we look for? Well, one thing is control. If I feel like I'm in control of my situation, I feel more soul secure. Um, If I can manipulate my job, and if I can climb the ladder, and if whatever it takes to do that, I'm gonna climb the ladder. I have. Then I, I can kind of have a little sense of security. Or if I can manipulate people to do things for me. Ladies, this is why men love the remote control. It's maybe the one thing in our day where we really feel like we have control. That, and we don't want to watch anything on Lifetime. So it's that, okay? Uh, Sports Center always tops Lifetime, just so you know. Or E. <laughs> uh, okay, so. Um, Control. We, we, we try to do this control thing. And people are controlling and try to control other people. They kind of control their jobs. That's one substitute. Another is reputation or appearance. And we feel safer when we think people think highly of us. And so we, we find sort of a, a sense of security in our occupation or where we live. Or if you're a parent, how your child is doing in sports or in school, if they're smart or if they're good at playing a game, then we get some security out of that. And even at church, we have this sort of notion of spiritual reputation. Like, I, I, I'm going to act like I'm better than I am. you know. I'm going to act like I'm more spiritual. Because if you think I've got it all together spiritually, my reputation goes up. That's why it's so incredibly difficult for us to get real with one another because we're afraid of what you might think of us. And if you think we've got it together, it feels safer even when we don't have it together, even when the wheels are falling off in my life. If I'm at church, I'd rather you think I'm doing really good. This is sort of one of the really important aspects of small groups because in a big room like this, you you put on makeup and you put on your good clothes and you showered, most of you, and uh, you came to church today and you smell good and and you're friendly and you put lotion on and you were shaking hands and, but in small group, when there's about you know six eight ten of you, sometimes, after a while, you can just be real honest with each other. You know, hey, the wheels are falling off on my life and I. I don't know what to do about it. Uh, I'm not nearly as spiritual as you might think I am. We can get real honest with each other. But this feels secure when people think highly of us for whatever reason. Then there's financial financial security or comfort. We're sort of comfort-addicted people in this country. And the goal is to build up a life that other people will see and envy. If, if, if I can post on Facebook and make you think, man, I, I wish I had that life. If I could create a life where you envy me, then I feel secure. Jesus told a story, told stories around this. He tells a story about this guy who is a great farmer and he has a windfall crop and he does great things with this crop and he says to himself, I've made it, I've arrived, my reputation, everybody in the community is going to know my name because I've, done, I've achieved this amazing thing and I have this amazing crop and I have these little bitty tiny barns and I'm going to tear those down and build bigger barns because I have so much stuff. And people will notice my big barns because they're big. And When they were little, nobody really noticed, but now they're going to be big and, and opulent and people are going to look at me and they are going to be envious. And then he tries to convince his soul that this is good. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Soul, you have made a name for yourself. Soul, you are wealthy enough to make it through the end of your life. Soul, you have established a career that other people would like. You have a job title that people Envy. You've gotten your kids into college. You've gotten your kids out of college. You've gotten your kids' college paid for. These are enviable. And it is possible to convince your mind that this is true. And it is possible to convince your will that this is where you need to go toward. And it is possible to feed your appetites to get to this place. But it is really not possible to ever find true soul security in any place apart from God. See, here's the danger. We put our souls in danger when we settle for anything but God to provide our security. Because here's the thing about wealth. You can lose wealth. Here's the thing about relationships. People leave. People can die. Here's the thing about reputation. One can lose their reputation. People lose their reputation every day. All over the world. Something will happen, and their reputation gone you can spend a career climbing the corporate ladder and when you're done if they give you a party at all they give you a parting gift they kick you to the curb and they put the next man up because that's the way the world works In, in churches it's amazing to me I left this church in Michigan, and it was doing well. and And I was thinking, man, what a what a uh, that made me look really good because that church was really doing well. And now I, I look at my my friends there, and they love that new pastor, which really stinks, uh, frankly. I mean, I, I I would like like little love letters. Oh, we wish you. I don't get any of that. They like they love Steve, and Steve's great, by the way, our new pastor there in in, in Michigan, but. <laughs> There's a little piece of me that goes, well, what up with that? Did Steve baptize you? I mean, I'm kind of thinking that in, in my spirit, you know. When I let myself just think those thoughts, like, uh, did Steve visit you in the hospital? I mean, you know, um, I don't think so. He doesn't even have any hair. I, you know, it's a, uh, we we it's we let ourselves go there, right? Because... The funniest thing, when I was 40 years old, I had a heart attack. At 40 years old, they, they said, you can't go back to work. You've got to take some time off. You know, can't go back to work immediately. I was out eight weeks. I'm thinking to myself, this thing is going to fall apart. I'll be lucky if I go back to anything. There were more people coming when I went back than when I left. I mean, really. They were happy. They said, take some more weeks. Uh, it, it, we're all replaceable, and if you build... Your security around your job or your reputation or your bank account, all those things. Well, Jesus said, You're a fool. This night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? You got that great big old hairy bank account, and you're not even gonna get to enjoy it. You're gonna leave that for somebody. Whose is it going to be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You you can have the greatest reputation and when you die, guess what? You're dead. And you can spend literally every waking moment working on that. But Jesus said, that's sort of foolish. No, he didn't say it's sort of. he, He said that is that is messed up. That is as foolish as it can be. The funny thing about visiting somebody in hospice care, I have never visited somebody in hospice that cared about resume enhancement or career advancement. Not one time. I visited a guy named Fred one time when I lived in Michigan. Fred had, uh, was in the hospital. I visited him in the hospital. I said, Fred, how you doing? He said, well, I'm going from here to hospice. You know what that means. I know what that means. Fred knew what it meant. I said, Fred, how does that make you feel? I mean, are you okay? And he said, oh, pastor, I settled that a long time ago. I settled that with Jesus when I was a little boy. I, I don't have any fear of going to hospice because I know that's the next step to getting to heaven. He said, the only people who are having trouble with this are my kids. See, we we didn't talk about. Hey, Fred, uh, he was a bank president at one time. Fred, how did how's your portfolio? He didn't bring up his portfolio. I'm fairly certain he was wealthy. He couldn't care less at that point. I think he was happy. He had enough money to pay for hospice care, and he wouldn't be a burden to his kids. But he said, "Oh, Pastor, I, I settled that a long time ago." We can look. For security in all the wrong places. But, but God would say, and the Bible says often, that we find our security in Him. Now, look at a couple of verses here. The Psalms, you know these are songs, right? These are written as songs. And so they're singing this. Just kind of picture yourself singing this. And, and someone's singing, You are my hiding place and my shield. And uh, for God will hide me in His shelter in the day of trouble, and over and over in the Psalms you read verses like this, that my soul is secure in God alone. Now, the writers of these songs, they didn't live an easy life. I mean, life expectancy, 40, 50 years old, it it wasn't like you lived often, you lived into your 80s or 90s, it was kind of rare actually. They were in danger every day of foreign invasion. They were in danger every day of disease. They often, most often lived from hand to mouth. It's not like they had cupboards with food that would last them for months. These are people who wrote these songs who would, you and I would feel sorry for them because they didn't have any really security. Except they found their security in God and that's what they're saying look I, I don't have song I don't have you know this song um, I'm singing doesn't place my security in my stuff or in my reputation I find my security in God and, and we make those songs our songs by resisting compromise now you're, you're probably going to say well how did you get there well let me explain Most of us, if we've read scripture at all, kind of know what God wants us to do. If you've been to church much, you kind of know what God wants you to do. And you might not, but, but for the most part, many of us in the room, we sort of know the Ten Commandments. We know what God wants us to do. We know what God wants us not to do. But, but in the moment, when we're unsure, when, we're, when we feel unsafe, oftentimes we compromise. So financially, we know that the Bible tells us to be generous With our finances, we know that the Bible says not to hoard and to, to help those who are in need, but when we feel insecure, we have a tendency to compromise. And instead of being generous, instead of looking for people to bless, rather we begin to hoard our possessions. We begin to cling to them tightly. In relationships, when we get lonely, we know what God says, there's a certain sexual ethic that God has has an expectation of us. But when we're lonely, we have a tendency to compromise on that. We look at things, when we're men mostly, that maybe we shouldn't be looking at, that we shouldn't be looking at. We get into relationships that we know God doesn't approve of. But we're lonely. And and so we compromise. In in areas like... um, consequences for telling the truth I I know it's going to be a bad consequence and and I know that maybe I did something wrong I don't really want to admit that and I know what I'm supposed to do the Bible tells me to tell the truth but this causes me anxiety so I'm going to I'm going to fudge I'm not going to tell everything I'm going to be a a little bit deceitful the problem is the things that we lean into being deceptive being a hoarder, uh, getting into relationships that we shouldn't, these compromises that we make, we think they're going to provide security. The problem is they don't provide security. Jesus said, by continuing to have faith, you'll save your souls. Obedience to God doesn't earn his favor, but it allows us to be secure in our faith. When, when we lean into God, when things aren't going the way we think they ought to, when we're lonely or when our finances aren't there, when we, rather than compromising, when we lean into God, when we continue to have faith, as anti-intuitive as that is, that's where we really, really find peace. So, as we think about this and as we kind of close today I'm going to ask a couple of questions what percentage of your life your hopes, your plans your pursuits do you think God is calling you to entrust to him at work, in your marriage in your family at church I mean good grief we've had these quantum changes at church it's disruptive it's unsettling your pastor, who founded your church, isn't here anymore. Well, he's here, but he's not here. He's not. Where is he today? Woodruff, Four Points Church. He chose them over us. So what do you say? Uh, so just, uh, I love that Cliff. He's something. He is something. But he's not up front, and Donnie's not here, and Ben's not here, and this causes us anxiety because it's not the way it used to be. And you lost some staff, and now you're going to gain some staff, and that's going to be different. And you're going to have these differences are disconcerting to us. I I get that. I know that. It's different for us. We have a new church to learn in new places. Um, We had to figure out where all the Zaxby's were. That's a big deal. It's a big deal for us. And we had to figure out where Bojangles was so we could avoid it. And that's a big deal for us, because I don't like that. Uh, So, And you're going to come up to me after it's over with, you got to try the biscuits. I don't care about the biscuits. Okay, anyway, anyway, I ramble. What part of all the things that are causing us anxiety do you think God is calling you to trust Him in? And, And I would suspect, if you were real honest, you'd know that that's 100%. He is calling you to place your trust in Him Completely, no matter what it is, no matter what. Now, one more question. When we entrust ourselves fully and faithfully to Jesus, what is the percentage chance Jesus is going to be faithful? What do you think? I think it's 100%. The Bible tells us that he's he's always faithful. I, I, I know things sometimes feel like they're spinning out of control. I, I know that spins out of control it feels that way for me too it 's not the time to compromise and it 's not the time to find our, try to find our soul security in something that was never designed to give us soul security. We say stuff like um we're, we're uh, we, we have self doubt it 's not about the self it's about it's about the soul when when our girls were little er um they when we would have storms you know lightning and thunder and all those things when we would have storms one of the things that was almost certain was that when those storms came at least one of them would come into our room and want to get in the bed with us and inevitably when that storm came they would and sometimes it was more than one they would want to be right between us mommy and daddy because that was the space where they felt safest that's where they wanted to find refuge. That was their hiding place. Now, Jesus never says to us, there won't be storms. I, I like that Jesus is just real honest about this when he said, in your life you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. It, I mean, I don't know how much more plain it can be. In this world you'll have trouble. It's a given. But take heart, he says, for I've overcome the world. He's overcome that. He he never says you won't have difficulties or there won't be anxious moments. What he says is when you have anxious moments, the Bible tells us to run to him, to lean into him, to find our safety, to find our security in him. And this is what he's calling us to today i'm going to pray for us and then we're going to take up an offering and let me tell you what's going to go at the last five or six minutes of our service Um, after the service is over um, i'm going to be right over there and if you want to come hang out with me have somebody pray with you i'm going to be there and i'm happy to do that right now we're going to take up an offering and and um, then we're going to uh, have another great song as we close and then my friend mark is going to come and, and close us with a word of prayer uh, let me tell you what the offering is about. That, that's We take one every week because it's an act of worship. If you're a guest, please don't feel like this is for you. If you want to give, you're welcome to, but it's certainly not an expectation that we have. This is something we do because we know that God has asked us to do it. We want to be thankful and obedient and trusting that he's going to continue to provide for us. So that's why we take up an offering like this. I'm going to pray for it, and then I'm going to step aside and... Uh, Liz and the band are going to come back and lead us in a song after the offering is over. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this day, for what you've provided for us, continue to provide for us, how you love us, how you care for us. Lord, help us to be reminded of all that you do for us. And help us to lean into you for our security. And now as we take up this offering, we pray that it would be a blessing to you that we would do it with a cheerful joyful heart (coughs) and that you would uh, allow us to steward these gifts that you give us we love you and i pray that we'll lean into you whenever we have difficulty and we find our security in you we pray and we ask these things in jesus name amen